Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise in Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's get to an update to a case out of Manhattan that started back in March of 2022. Socialite Lauren Pazienza had spent the day of March 10th with her fiancé, Naveen Pereira. They had attended several art gallery showings and drank nearly two bottles worth of wine in the Chelsea area, supposedly in celebration of their pending wedding. See Lauren and Naveen, well, they were to be married exactly 100 days from that day, which was March 10th. Now, as the day started to wind down, the two stopped at a food vendor outside of Chelsea Park. After entering the park to eat her food, she was approached by a Parks Department employee and told that the park would be closing soon. And for whatever reason, maybe it was a long day of alcohol, maybe the art was too expensive, or maybe she just didn't like her food cart hot dog, I don't know. But whatever it was, she basically lost control. Growing verbally violent, she cursed at the park's employee, and she then turned and hurled her food at her fiancé, and she stormed out of the park. Now, as she left the park, Naveen kind of cleaned up the mess, and he headed towards the subway, planning to return to the apartment that he and Lauren shared in Astoria. And Lauren, well, she, for no real identifiable reason, headed down 28th Street in Manhattan. And here's where Lauren's tantrum goes from embarrassing and childish to life-changing. As the five-foot-seven socialite is fuming down 28th Street, she sees 87-year-old Barbara Mayer Gustern just entering the sidewalk because Barbara's just leaving her home at about 9.30 at night to go to a play. Now, Lauren doesn't know Barbara, but still... In her fit of rage, she crosses the street and violently shoves the 4 foot 11 inch 87 year old Barbara and calls her a bitch. Then the shove causes Barbara to hit her head, possibly on the cement or the metal fence behind her or both. Barbara stumbles to her feet, bleeding profusely from her head wound, and she tries to make her way down 28th Street. She sees a friend just a few yards down the block who calls an ambulance. And Barbara told that friend she had never sustained a blow like that in her entire life. She was taken by ambulance to Bellevue Hospital. And by the time she arrived, she was unconscious. And five days later, she died from the injuries sustained in the attack. Okay, 
Well, what did Lauren do? Did she try to aid Barbara after pushing her? Did seeing an elderly woman crash to the ground wake her from her fit of rage? Well, Lauren calls her fiance. He heads back her way and they reunite there in the Chelsea Park area. But her tantrum doesn't seem to be over. As soon as the two reunite, they begin arguing and she accuses him of ruining her night. And reports say Naveen did not engage in the argument. And when Lauren lost steam, the two finally headed back to Astoria. And as they turn to leave the area, video footage from surrounding cameras seemingly shows Lauren standing just a few yards off, watching as the ambulance loaded Barbara and sped off to the hospital. Now, as the couple prepared for bed, Lauren is reported to have told Naveen that she might have pushed someone. And Naveen asks the next most appropriate question, why would you do that? And she responds with, she might have said something to me. But then she told Naveen she wasn't really sure. And then Lauren goes about her life until two days later when she sees coverage in the local media about the attack on Barbara and she starts to grow nervous, eventually showing Naveen a news article about the assault. She also then confessed to a cousin that she might have been involved in the attack. Then she fled to her parents' house on Long Island. And then, in an act of complete innocence, obviously, she deletes her social media accounts and removes her wedding website. Remember, the wedding is just 100 days away. She also stopped using her cell phone, choosing to leave it at her aunt's house. Now, it took the police a week to track down Lauren. They first visited her parents' house, but later found her hiding out at her aunt's. And she turned herself in without conflict. So why am I giving you this update now? Well, Lauren has been being held without bail at Rikers Island on charges of manslaughter. Now, Lauren, who is the daughter of a lucrative cesspool heir, had initially easily bonded out on the half million dollar bail. But a judge had later ruled that Lauren could be a flight risk and had her handcuffed and sent to the prison until trial. Well, on Thursday, Lauren's attorneys argued that during the attack, she was heavily under the influence of drugs and alcohol and that she couldn't have intentionally killed Barbara. Initially, Lauren and her fiancé copped to drinking heavy amounts of alcohol that day that was a little over a year ago, but now her attorneys are saying that along with the wine, Lauren had consumed prescription drugs and marijuana. Her attorney told the judge on Thursday that he and the state are trying to work out a plea deal, but he is assuming that the prosecutors will not provide a, quote, reasonable offer. All of that is according to CBS New York. He also said that Lauren agrees she needs to be punished and that she is being punished. She's in Rikers Island. He said, I'm not asking for five years. And to be clear, I'm not asking for probation. All right. I mean, that's a little muddled. So I'm going to try to interpret that as he's negotiating anywhere between the current time served and five years for Lauren. So if she is convicted on the charges as they currently stand, she could face up to 25 years in prison. And initially, the plea bargaining seemed to be 15 years in prison for Lauren. So we've reduced that quite a bit. Now, the judge scheduled her next court appearance for July 20th. And despite Barbara's family hoping for the 15-year plea bargain, they said they're prepared to go to trial. So let's talk about Barbara and what she meant to the community of music. 
She was a well-known and respected vocal coach who had worked with Debbie Harry, that's the lead singer of Blondie, and she had also worked with numerous Broadway singers, including the cast of the 2019 revival of Oklahoma. And one of Barbara's vocal students described her this way, saying she had more energy than any of her students. She loved life and would never say a harsh word or anything nasty to someone on the street. And that student said the following, the fact that someone ran across the street to push her because they had to take it out on somebody is sad. I doubt that she thought that she would kill her, but there are consequences. You can't just have temper tantrums because the world doesn't go your way. All right, I'll keep you updated on that case and let you know if they actually reach a plea bargain. Now let's head on over to Detroit, where a benevolent neurosurgeon was found dead in his attic nearly two months ago, and police aren't sharing much of the case with the public. The 53-year-old neurosurgeon, Devon Hoover, had an organized life, to say the least. He had purchased a nine-bedroom stately mansion in Detroit's historic Boston Edison neighborhood back in 2008. He then restored the home to its full glory, and he would often spend hours tracking down the perfect art or antiques to adorn the mansion. Now, according to People.com, his neighbor, Jeannie Wyatt, said Devon had a good eye for decor and restoration. She said that anytime he would get a new piece of artwork or an antique, that he would invite them over for wine so that they could view the treasures he had discovered. But she also said, despite the massive house and antiques, he was very kind and he was a gentle soul that was actually down to earth and that he treasured the community he lived in. Now, it wasn't just the inside of the mansion that received Devon's meticulous care. He paid particular attention to his lush green hedges, personally making sure that they were perfectly manicured. The hedges became such a focal point that one of his friends had joked he was going to burn them all down because Devon was missing too many social events. See, he was carefully grooming his hedges instead of going to events with friends. Now, Devon was also close to his six sisters and parents, and it was one of those sisters who alerted police to visit Devon at his home for a welfare check. Now, police report that when they arrived on the scene to search the home, they found Devon stuffed in an attic crawl space and covered with a comforter, a sheet, and then a rug. He had been shot multiple times. Police say he was dragged face down and naked to that crawl space with only a sock on his foot. Now, police confirmed that they believe this was not a random act of violence, even going as far to say that Devon knows his killer. And why did this sister alert the police for a welfare check? Well, Devon was supposed to be returning to his family home that weekend to visit his parents. And when he didn't arrive, the family became alarmed. Devon was still very close with the family, where he was the fourth of seven kids that grew up on the dairy farm in Elkhart, Indiana. And now, in the most heart-wrenching of events, his 80-year-old mother, Loretta, well, she died just four days after the discovery of her son. All right, do police have any leads? Well, they initially arrested a person of interest in the case on some other charges. And according to Click on Detroit, investigators have text messages, video evidence from the scene, and DNA for that person of interest. Yet he was released because prosecutors are asking for more evidence before an official arrest is made. 
And so that leads me to go, okay, what other evidence does the prosecutor want? Well, specifically the gun that was used in the murder of Devon. Um, Police are being very tight-lipped with the investigation, which we should note isn't unusual. They are not sharing a motive for the killing or more of the specifics in the hours that were leading up to the surgeon's death. Now, Click on Detroit also says their sources are saying police are zeroed in on just that one person of interest. And his death does leave a gaping hole in the community. Messages of gratitude have poured in from previous patients. Cheryl Lever told the New York Post that Devon had operated on her severely arthritic back back in 2022. She said she woke up the next day with no pain. And then another patient named Eric said he was so compromised that he couldn't walk anymore. He said Devon told him that he was in good hands and that he was going to fix him. Eric said he now walks following the surgery, calling the surgeon a miracle worker. And I just wanted to share this one post out of the dozens that I found, because I think it just really shows who Devon was. On a Justice for Dr. Devon Hoover page on Facebook, Ben from the UK wrote that he had been in Detroit seven months ago to install a greenhouse for Devon. He writes that one evening the doctor ordered pizza and grabbed some beers and they just sat for a few hours talking. He wrote that it was one of his all-time favorite jobs and that the doctor was just a top guy. Now this case is obviously not over and I'll keep you updated on a possible arrest. All right, let's finish with this quick update to a portion of the Alec Murdoch case out of South Carolina. Now, I know that this is a very complicated case, but let's do a quick summary before I give the update. At around 10 p.m. on June 7th of 2021, authorities were called to a rural hunting property in the low country of South Carolina. When they arrived at the grisly scene, they found 52-year-old Maggie Murdoch and her 22-year-old son, Paul, laying dead in pools of blood from gunshot wounds. Now, Alec is the father of the family, and he had called 911, claiming he had returned to the hunting property after visiting his mother, and that's where he found the nightmarish scene. Well, just 18 months later, Alec stood trial for the two deaths and was found guilty for those crimes, as well as some financial misdeeds. So that update alone would be enough, right? We've got a father who is now found guilty of killing his wife and his son, and that's just only a portion of this story. So let's rewind to explain this highly influential legal family whose grip over the region extends back several generations and possibly three more deaths. We can start with Paul, the son. So at the time of his death, he was facing manslaughter charges stemming from the February 2019 boat crash that is just now infamous in the true crime community. Paul, who had been drinking heavily, was driving a boat filled with friends when he crashed into a bridge pylon at a high rate of speed, injuring some of the passengers on board. The crash sent 19-year-old Mallory Beach flying into the water. Her body was found seven days later. Now, Alec arrived at the hospital where the injured passengers were being treated and where his son was sobering up. He allegedly began manipulating the situation, coercing the passengers, and eventually saying that Paul's friend was driving the boat instead of Paul. 
Now, special allowances were made for Paul, like he never was detained in jail, and he also had his mugshot taken in a courtroom corridor rather than the traditional police mugshot. So what about the other two deaths linked to the Murdoch family? Well, one year before the boat crash, the Murdoch's longtime housekeeper fell at the same hunting lodge where Maggie and Paul were murdered. It was said that she tripped on one or more of the family dogs, hitting her head on a set of stairs. Alec eventually committed insurance fraud by securing the life insurance payout for the housekeeper, but not giving that money to her family. He instead kept it for himself. So that leaves one more murder. And that's where the update comes in. Now we have to go back to July of 2015, when 19-year-old Stephen Smith was found dead in the middle of a rural road in Hampton County, South Carolina. That's just about 10 miles from the Murdoch home. Now, authorities at the time said he died from blunt force trauma to his head, and they theorized he had been walking on the road and had been a victim of a hit-and-run accident. Now, they came to this conclusion because they found his car a way off, and they thought he possibly had run out of gas and was walking to get help. Now, law enforcement never came to an agreement with the conclusion, and some felt this theory seemed a little bit flimsy since there were really no signs of a hit and run. Now, there is a link or a potential link between Stephen and the Murdochs. The gay nursing student had been a classmate of Buster Murdoch. And Buster is the older son of Alec and Maggie. Now, rumors had been circulating in the area that Buster and Stephen were linked romantically. And Stephen's twin sister, well, she had said that her brother was seeing someone and that he had told her the community would be surprised if they knew who it was. Well, Law and Crime is reporting that a grand jury has been hearing evidence in the death of Stephen. Eric Bland, an attorney for the family of Stephen, is saying that a grand jury has been impaneled and that substantial progress has been made. In his words, he says, I have been authorized to say that progress is being made and there's probably five or six individuals that have material information as to what happened to Stephen. Now, Stephen's body was exhumed earlier this year and a second independent autopsy was performed in Florida. The results of that autopsy have not been made public, but the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division have the results, and Stevens attorneys are saying they got what they needed. Now, it is important to note that the rumors reporting the connection between Stephen and Buster, they're just that. They're rumors. Bland, the attorney, well, he is clear on this definition, saying that right now he knows of no direct connection of any Murdoch to the murder. And Bland is also expecting the findings from the grand jury to be revealed before Labor Day. So I'll keep a close eye on this portion of that wild case. And Bland said the following about finding a conclusion to Stephen's death. He said, Sandy, Stephen's mom, is not looking for an explanation. She's looking for the explanation. So if the explanation is hit and run, she's okay with that. She is moving towards peace. The woman has not had peace for eight years. All right. Well, that's your Monday edition of Rise in Crime. And really, thanks so much for being a part of this true crime news update community. Check in with me on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can join me again on Thursday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.